Hey guys, Bear Grylls here just to say super excited for Charles Thorpe's podcast coming soon. You guys are going to love this. What a great guy he is and so many great stories. So enjoy these and remember above all, never give up. Now I personally believe that there's nothing better than a great adventure, whether it's to another country or into the backyard. It can have an amazing ability to change not just the way that we see the world, but also the way that we see ourselves. That is exactly what you're going to hear about from our incredible guests. On Great Adventures, I'm going to be hanging out with actors, athletes, thought leaders, and of course explorers, some old friends, and some new, to discuss how being adventurous benefited their lives. My name is Charles Thorpe. For over a decade, I've been chasing down epic stories professionally from magazines and television shows, and now I'm bringing those conversations here. The juxtaposition of Japan, I love the Shinto temples, the story of this sort of Susano and Yamato Orochi and all these amazing stories that I've been writing about in Ibaraki are from Shinto religion, which is my mom's religion, a country that robot restaurant exists, but at the same time, a shrine with a thousand monk statues. That was guitarist and Trivium frontman Matt Hafey, and it's time for Great Adventures. I think it was, God forbid, Scars of Tomorrow and Trivium, All That Remains. I think that was our first tour, playing in front of 15 to 25 people a night. But we were very excited to do that, as you should be in the beginning. Just living in a van, eating once a day, not getting paid, losing tons of money, showering in Waffle House sinks at the end of the night. But we loved it because it was it was all we knew and it's all we ever wanted. So it was, looking back, it's, it sounds terrible, but it was very fun at the time. What's the first tour stop you remember? The first city that you guys went to on tour? I think the first one of that was South Carolina, but I think we might have done, I think we might have actually played three European dates before ever touring America. Like we played tons of Florida shows, but it was never like people imagine. People usually imagine a band like us would have been a big local band. And in the case of Florida, that's really the opposite. Again, three to seven to 12 people at any show at any time. And most of those were our parents anyway. Um, <laughs> but it was good times. And when we got signed to Life Force Records in 2004, they offered, they didn't really pay for it. My, my dad was the one that fronted the bill for it. And because he was the manager and also like the, the backer of the band, he's like, all right, we'll, we'll fly to Europe. We'll play three shows. We played in Eindhoven, Netherlands, Zalfeld, Germany, and Ghent, Belgium. And I remember the first show in Eindhoven was really cool. We were, we were opening up for Prostitute Disfigurement and Do Scented um, at this place called Cafe Dynamo, which we'd later headline like two or three years after that, but now playing different venues than that even. It was a really cool experience, like having never been to Europe before. I really loved it. I loved being over there. Uh, each show, we would get in a van and drive like eight to 10 hours. It was my dad, me, Corey, Travis, and Brent, and then the two guys from the label. We'd go over there. And the Zollfeld show was really cool. It was, a, it was a festival called Conspiracy Festival, playing with Heaven Shall Burn. And I think another like nine or 10 bands. And the last show we played in Ghent, Belgium, was this awful, disgusting venue with Emerald Porta Potties lined the entryway to get into the club. And there was like 15 people there during our set, just staring at us, their arms crossed the whole time. So it was like a, a pretty cool first show, a very cool second show. And the third show was just, it was a taste of like, that still happens. Like you will always have a couple great shows and a couple really shot shows. And that's just the reality of what it is to be a touring musician. But that's the way it should be. That first European tour, do you remember getting any sightseeing in? Do you remember sort of experiencing anything about various cultures that you hadn't before in the States? 
that one unfortunately there wasn't that much time because we had to drive from from show to show and i think that that's what ends up hitting a lot of younger bands that have to drive themselves they're not able to do as much because they really have to play and then drive and hopefully sleep halfway or shower halfway or whatever it may be but i remember the first couple days we were able to get to amsterdam early um but i was i was a straight edge 17 year old so i didn't i wasn't super stoked or anything um because i didn't drink i didn't smoke but i was really into like seeing this new strange magical world but now when i tour it's all about that it's all about sightseeing eating everything i can drinking everything i can i think amsterdam now as an adult would have been a much different experience as like a 17 year old who's like who thought drinking was dumb <laughs> and now you know i obviously in moderation it is, it is not a dumb thing it's a good especially as, as a dad now it's like one of the few moments where if you can't sleep you can at least be slightly relaxed at that moment that fork is done <laughs> No, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I was the same way straight edge up into the 22 years old. And yeah, I went back to Amsterdam recently and it's a, it's an adult playground. That's yes. for sure. Not yes. red light district or anything like that. No, I'm no, just no. saying bars, you know, a little bit of smoking, you know, in moderation, everything in moderation. Yep. Course, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to figure out what tour it was. It was like 2006 or seven. Uh, we we're on festival runs and we met up at the greenhouse. I won't say which musician, but one of my favorite musicians of all time. And he was there and I wasn't part taking i remember just being contact high like crazy just from sitting across from at that place that was a pretty cool experience so it's it more like the early stuff was a foundation for what i would later do like i didn't understand what it was to go sightseeing i, I sort of was there in bewilderment and as i kept returning especially now i've been talking about how much i miss german beer halls right now and yesterday at the house Ashley and I, we made like schnitzel and Bratkartoffeln, which is fried potatoes and had German beer just to kind of bring me back because we're on tour in Germany so much and every day off, we all want the same thing. We always want to go to these traditional places. And it's funny, it's the thing that young kids don't really do in Germany. It's called a Stammtisch. I think that's what it means. And it's when like older males all go to hang out their beer hall and they smoke and talk about work or they play poker or something. But for us, like we're trying to make that like a modern young kid thing. Like, hey, go down to the beer hall and hang out. So I think it's, it's amazing. So I've really been missing that. I've really been missing that. So recreated that a little bit in our house. One of the things I love about music is the ability to go places and get through the language barrier, you know, through music. What was like the first experience that you had where someone approached you that was like, I don't know English, but I know your lyrics. We were booked to play the fifth stage at this festival called Download Festival, which is like one of the most legendary festivals in the UK. And they flipped us to main stage to open it. That's where we had our legendary 11 a.m. 40,000 person set that's hailed as one of the biggest and most important download shows ever. And no band has ever topped that opening slot since we've done it, which is really cool. Nowadays is more so where the other countries have really picked up. I mean, with our band, it's interesting. Every record has blown up in a different country for us. The UK was the second record. Germany was the fifth record australia was the fourth record the states was kind of the sixth seventh eighth album every time it's been something different it's it's really interesting it's really Crazy. bizarre yeah the states took the longest the states wasn't really until they kind of started getting into us on record six but it was really seven and eight when the states really came around for us finally so one of the things i want to talk about is your japanese heritage and obviously that culture means a lot to you and you pull from it you know creatively and you bring it into your lyrics why don't you tell me a little bit about your first introduction into your own japanese culture and then maybe your first opportunity to actually visit japan having grown up with my mom because my dad is a marine so he was he was stationed a lot when i was when i was younger i was always playing games or watching anime really not 
noticing that it was something that was different. Like that was always just a part of my culture, like our part of my life. Like it's just what I ate. It's what I watched. And I thought everyone else was doing the same thing. Um, I remember going to school and everyone was talking about like what they had for breakfast. And I was like, Oh, I had rice and salmon. Like always like you guys see, right. They're like, what the hell? Like, no, we ate cereal. So then I started realizing that this was something different. I started at first, I was a little embarrassed. Then I started realizing that's cool. Then I wanted to know what other people's other normal was first tour we ever did in Japan was really rough because I didn't, I didn't sleep on the plane. Um, it was like a super long flight in the back of coach and middle seats and didn't sleep well, got there, couldn't figure out how to make my credit card work. Couldn't call anybody. Couldn't figure out how to do nose was bleeding, was tired, couldn't fall asleep. And then like after maybe 30 minutes of sleep, I woke up sort of walking around the next morning. And then I started to feel like I was somewhere familiar, not the feeling of home, but close. Luckily, my mom decided to accompany us and we, we told her that it'd be good if you came down to help us translate and all that stuff because we were second band in the bill. So we didn't really have a translator with us, but my mom would be there to, to assist. I was able to meet, re-meet my grandparents for the first time since I was born. I was basically born and left. I, was, I lived there for a year and really never got to know anyone. So my grandparents came up to the Hiroshima show and I was able to meet them and... That was pretty awesome. My mom was able to take us to her favorite food in Hiroshima as well. Yeah, I, I think it was just revisiting where it all started, where I started. And it was always an interesting story as well that, you know, my mom is from a town that, you know, Hiroshima, it was, it was bombed by the States during wartime. My father was a Marine who was massively discouraged of marrying someone from the country that they're deployed in. So it's, I, I guess I, I like that conflict. I like that despite that, they still got married. They still left. They still had a, created a family. It brings it all full circle when I think about Japan. Great Adventures is lucky to have partners that share our love for a good story, like Whistle Pig Whiskey. They're American rice perfected in the beautiful Vermont countryside. I've been to their farm, I've seen the process, and a lot of care goes into creating each glass. It's also the perfect nightcap after a day in the wild. Check them out on Instagram at Whistle Pig Whiskey. I knew I was wanting to put Japanese stuff in our, in our music. I'm trying to look at our discography when I first started doing that. It really wasn't until the third record that I decided to start bringing in some Japanese elements into the band with Becoming the Dragon. I decided to take that title, but write it about the mythology of the Japanese dragon, of the koi, how once it finally makes it over the waterfall, it becomes a Japanese dragon. I feel that Japanese culture is something that people have always been really intrigued by. Like you see how people appreciate Japanese food, anime, fashion, movies, all that stuff. And I think that's been really great because at times I used to struggle and say like, what do I have in me that's interesting that I can sing about or that I can delve into? But you can see leading into the next record, the record Shogun, it's all about Japanese culture. The entire record isn't fully about it, but the thematics, the album cover, the kanji was actually drawn by one of my good friend's wives. My, my good friend happens to own what I consider like the best sushi restaurant in Orlando. He's a huge metalhead. So he was very excited to do that. The song Kiris Go Men is about a samurai code that samurai about were by law able to chop off people's heads if they piss them off. The song Shogun is kind of a fictitious story that I wrote. It's not directly about something. It's more of, I, I like to really paint a picture with the lyrics and the visuals of something of its own new world. Silence of the Snow, that song was actually written for Shogun. And the original name of that record was supposed to be Yuki no Damari, which means silence in the snow in Japanese. And it's from an old Suikoden, which is the ancient Japanese stories of like warriors and samurai. I saw this piece of these two tattooed warriors fighting in the snow. And that's what Yuki no Damari or silence of the snow means. 
I think I brought up the idea of calling that Yuki no Damari, but we eventually changed the sounds of the snow. My side project, Ibaraki, which is actually Trippium's mascot, which is the beast from my tattoo, which the old story was there was a demon named Ibaraki Doji, which means demon child at a town of Rashomon and it was terrorizing the city. And there was only one samurai that stood up to the demon, chopped the demon's arm off. Demon fled. Years later, this old woman returns to see the arm from the samurai. She's like, I want to see, I want to see this, this demon's arm. Watanabe no Tsuna presents the arm. The woman takes, turns back and the demon flees forever. And I like that idea of making Trippium's mascot this. So the skull that is our mascot that is on Silence of the Snow is Ibaraki as well. So there's, there's a whole bunch there, but I've renamed my side project band, which was called Mritsu to Ibaraki. And everything of that is all Japanese. It's all Japanese gods, goddesses, monsters, culture, fictitious stories, all of that. This pendant is even Japanese. This is the sword that is found within the belly of Yamata no Orochi, which is the eight-headed serpent in the sea. When the storm god Susano cuts the belly open, there's the sword. And it's something that I've always wanted to delve into. I know that we talked about bringing some of that back in in the future whenever we decide to start writing again. It seems like the, the kind of stuff that people always really want to pull into because it has all those extra attached visuals, whether it's visuals from our band or not is something that's inevitably going to be imagined and that's what i really like that's why i like that no one has ever asked me what story is shogun about they haven't said hey is this about something specific that happened historically it's it's not it's something i just made in my head as i listened to the music that i was that i created and i think that that's that's some of the most fun stuff for me and i also do you know i think like societally important songs are really important um because like anniversary crusade i was playing crusade songs this morning the song contempt breeds contamination is a song about amado diallo who was an immigrant who was thought to be a suspect who wasn't who was an innocent person who was gunned down and so it's stuff that like like that like that i love that in metal you can have those very important things tucked in within the songs i mean crusade was very direct crusade was about specific events um for some of those songs but then you can take life metaphors out of still in charybdis or of Prometheus and the Crucifix, the idea of the, the story of Prometheus, the story of the story of Jesus, like those two different things and, and looking at how all these stories of religion or mythology. And I think it is kind of interesting that Norse mythology is called mythology. It wasn't mythology for them. It was, it was their religion. And I, I think it's so interesting to see all these different parallel stories of these different cultures that had nothing to do with each other. I feel like there's no other genre that can really do that correctly other than metal. When you got the opportunity to go back to Japan, what places did you find that you connected with the most? What restaurants, what locations, what neighborhoods did you find? Okay, this is somewhere I don't mind coming back to and a place that maybe restores you both spiritually and mentally. I love the juxtaposition of Japan. I love that they have such classical things in the Shinto temples because actually a lot of all these stories are Shinto stories. The story of this sword of Kusanagi Tatsurugi, this, this sword of Susanoo and Yamato no Orochi and all these amazing stories that I've been writing about in Ibaraki are from Shinto religion, which is what my mom's religion is. Everything from like the Kyoto temples. I also love the absurdity of Shibuya and of Harajuku and of things like a country that robot restaurant exists, but at the same time, there's like a shrine with a thousand, a thousand monk statues. So I've always liked that. I've always appreciated that extreme black and white that is Japan. And I think that explains a lot about me. And I, I feel that the regimented and disciplined culture as well as something that has really been programmed into me from my Japanese side. It's also from the, from the Marine side as well. But when it comes to revisiting things in Japan, we love to stay in Shibuya area. The hotel we used to stay in is not like, 
Japan's weird. So people always think Japan is like, Japan is very, very nice. The food is incredible. People are cool. The, the towns are great. Nice hotels aren't necessarily that nice. It's like frozen in this like 1960s, 1970s luxury. Like when you watch Mad Men, uh, the apartment that Draper lives in is pretty much what every single Japanese hotel looks like. That's like a five-star hotel. Like it's like just stuck in time. So the hotel that we like to stay in is nothing special. It's not even like a high end. It's, it's pretty, a pretty inexpensive, very small room. Every time we always say that we want to stay there like people are kind of like the promoters kind of confused. Like, well, wouldn't you rather stay in this fancy room? Like, no, we want to stay here because it's right in this area where we can just walk out and everywhere we go is is incredible food and incredible things to see with Japan in contrast to other countries, other countries, you really have to have, like have a favorite couple of restaurants in Japan. There's a couple, but what's great about it is if you go anywhere local, it's going to be fantastic. And that's what I really like America. You can't really do that. Maybe you can in New York, but Florida, you can't, you can't be random. Even some of our <laughs> best places, like there are days that maybe skip those days. So <laughs> with Japan, it's like everything is fantastic and everything is done so well. And every time we're there, we're just, I'm trying to think of where my head is when I'm in Japan. And it's hard to even put a place on it because I think my mind is actually clear, which is pretty rare occurrence that that ever happens. So when I'm in Japan and it's like this feeling of peace, it's this feeling of just like, all right, let's just go and do, we just walk the entire day. All we do is walk to eat and eat and sightsee. And that's, that's it. Um, when we do shows there, we plan everything more so around let's get in as early as possible like days wise and just eat everything we possibly can and use this right. I've just sort of winged it and, and gotten lost there. And I've always loved that. Always works out. What's the hotel or is that a trade secret? Um, it's a Shibuya XL. It's, it's nothing special. It's <laughs> nothing special. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's good. Those little tips are great, man. I feel like you might at face value say five star, most expensive. I want to stay there, but you can have a completely different experience and maybe a more individualized experience that, you know, you're more comfortable. You have easier access. People know you maybe a little bit better if you go there multiple times. I love all that. As a musician, you're always on the road. And I'm wondering if you ever find yourself inspired to write at a particular place, if you've ever found either a riff or a lyric or something like that on the road, one that comes to your mind or pops up that maybe people are familiar with. I was on a park bench in Copenhagen and just sort of taking in the environment. And that's where I wrote the intro of Into the Mouth of Hell We March. I, I don't know why. I was just there on a park bench and it was like a nice day. The rest of that song, at least the pre-course was written in this town in Germany that we, we play a lot. And I wrote the rest of that there in a dressing room. So it's, it's sort of random. And I feel like the best time to write something is when it is random. I feel like writing time is a bad time. I feel like you shouldn't ever try to set out, sit and say, I'm going to make this riff. I'm going to make this thing happen. But instead, it's when it, when it occurs naturally and when it happens on its own is the best. The idea of the song, Silence the Snow, that I mentioned, that was all inspired by opening up for Heaven and Hell in Japan. And... I remember I'd never really heard Heaven and Hell before, and that's that's with Ronnie James Dio singing. I was able to meet Dio, and years before that, I was able to first meet Bruce Dickinson. He interviewed me for his radio show on BBC, and I was explaining to him how much I looked up to him as a singer, and I was asking him all these vocal questions, and he said to me, he's like, I believe he was going off of what he heard on the crusade, and he's like, I think that one day you'll have a voice like Ronnie James Dio, is what Bruce Dickinson said to me. I told this story to Ronnie James Dio backstage in Japan, and Dio laughs. He's like, I have Bruce 
Bruce finally admitted I'm one of his heroes. <laughs> and I just thought that was such a, such a cool exchange. But seeing Dio that night and seeing Heaven and Hell that night is what inspired the writing of Sounds of Snow. So actually being in Japan is what created that Yuki no Damari entire idea that was, like I said, put on the back burner for Shogun, but then reappeared years later on Sounds of Snow. I kind of forgot about that. So you asked. I love it, man. I love that story. Oh, man. A couple legends right there. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Right now, you're killing it and you're doing a great job with the streaming and keeping the fans engaged and them excited, keeping them entertained, like you said. But I can only imagine that you're very excited to get back on the road at some point. So what places are you excited to get to the most? And are there any places or cities or countries that you guys are looking at touring for the first time or visiting for the first time, perhaps? Well, the last thing that we had booked that got canceled on the first thing that we got booked that I canceled was Japan, Thailand, Singapore, and Indonesia. I've been to Indonesia before. I was absolutely love with it. Love the food. Japan's favorite place in the world. Thailand, never been to Singapore, never been to, and all we were going to do was eat and play shows. So that was, hopefully we can get that made up as quickly as possible. That, that was, that was a big blow. Like I really, really want to go to those places and I really want to eat and see everything's I mean, Thai food and Thai culture is one of my favorite things in the world. I, I've loved the Muay Thai kickboxing for years, and I've loved Thai food. And one of my favorite chefs on the entire planet, Chef Benjamin Cooper out of Melbourne, Australia, who's kind of like a food mentor to me. He was also taught me a little bit about Buddhism and curry making, and he's, he's an amazing guy. He looks like, looks like Tom Hardy with the mohawk, and he's an, he's an incredible <laughs> chef. Uh, nice. He gave me his cookbook. So it, that one was really upsetting to have that go away. And I hope we can get that rebooked. I miss the German beer halls. Like I said, I miss going to Europe. I, I, I like touring the States. The States is awesome because the people here and we've got like any the newer things are cool. Some of our classic things are cool. But what I love about touring Europe is the old architecture tradition and to be able to see newer things as well. I just, I miss that so much. I'm, I'm, I never took it for granted because I'd always, I'd always do it. But not having it in my life has definitely been strange. I've just been so used to having all this time touring Europe because I, American bands, not all of them, but I remember growing up, at least half of them would always complain about touring Europe. Like, oh, the food sucks. There's nothing to do. There's no air conditioning. It's like the food is incredible. You just have to research a little bit. You're already on your phone anyway. I miss it. I miss it. You'll get back out there. I'm sure of it. I'm absolutely sure of it. I think another great thing that you've been doing during this time is you haven't stopped your sense of discovery. You haven't stopped trying new things too. So have you tried any new cuisines, any new foods, at least in your own area? We've been like nonstop ordering in or picking up like at first when quarantine was kind of peak level because Florida usually blows things and Florida's kind of a rough place to be. We would pick <laughs> things up from our favorite places. And now we've since segued to getting order in from, from our favorite places. Just talking about Thai stuff, a place called Toon, which is inside of one of our best Thai restaurants called Sea Thai. They just started doing that. And their whole model is purely from Uber Eats, which is interesting. It's sort of facilitated exactly what's happening now. Also, um, I've always complained there's no Jewish delis or Jewish deli diners here. And one open called Deli Desires that's purely by Instagram DM. So it's, it's nice seeing these people trying these new things out of these, these trying times. Like that's the one thing that you should never do when something, when the world is like this, is just give up and wait for things to go back. Instead, you have to adapt and see what you can do and build new paths as that is the new normal for a minute or however long it may be. I remember people are saying, oh, this will be a couple weeks, couple weeks. And now we're what, eight, nine months into this. And now it's re-ballooning again. You just have to, you have to navigate around these things and you have to conquer these things. So I've been so thankful that I've had this stream going now for, I guess it'll be four years in March. 
I'm lucky that one of my good friends who was also self-isolated because he had a newborn, we were able to train jujitsu five days a week in my backyard. And we both made a pact. We won't go to any other gym, won't train with anyone else other than each other. But luckily he was my main training partner anyway. I started uh, doing those mace workouts, which I'm pretty obsessed with. Really like that. Picking up Muay Thai back again. Because I've always liked Muay Thai more as like, I've liked it more as a singular person exercise, like like Ashtanga yoga. Yoga sometimes can be group, but it's nice to be alone sometimes. And then I, I feel the same with striking. But luckily my jiu-jitsu partner also is pretty well versed in that. And I don't mind doing that with him. I miss the traveling, but the thing I don't like about touring is it's inconsistency. If we've got like a 30 hour drive between a show and then we don't get to get a day off at a city, don't get to eat anything good. That's when I can't stand touring. I love it. But if I'm somewhere like in a factory district or playing an arena and there's nothing around, that's not fun for me. The shows are still fun, but I need to be able to be walk off the bus and be in the middle of a cool old town. Speaking of new things that you've tried, the whistle pig, the Magellan's Atlantic. How's that going? That. uh, (laughs) I've, I've mentioned to you, but having never had the crazy, super expensive like scotches, the Boss Hog is the best scotch rye whiskey I've ever had in my entire life. I've always seen and heard people talking about steak and whiskey or steak and scotch. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like wine does. I'm all about pairing right. drinks with the food it's supposed to be with. Like burger should be beer. I was like, man, I keep seeing this. Like Ron Swanson, one of my favorite characters in TV. <laughs> I was like, this, he was always drinking, drinking scotch and eating steak. So I was able to try Boss Hog with steak frites from the strand which is our favorite new american restaurant and it was incredible it was it was amazing so i wrapped this thing up with two questions the first one is if i handed you a plane ticket and you could go anywhere and do anything where would you go and what would you do I mean, Japan would have been the answer that I that I would normally say but you know what I should give you something slightly less expected I'd say Stockholm or Gothenburg, Sweden, or do both. Like those are also two of my favorite places in the world. I also love Oslo. Um, I've been able to see quite a bit of Natoden, which is outside of Oslo, which is where Ishan, my good friend from Emperor or ex-Emperor slash Ishan lives anywhere there. Like the other couple places I would absolutely live in my life. I would actually pick Osaka over Tokyo because Osaka is like, as far as food and culture wise, Osaka is San Francisco and Tokyo is New York. The last question is, if I say the perfect sunset, what place comes to your mind? I remember the first time we were played in Jakarta, Indonesia, Paulo and I were hanging out in the rooftop hotel of this insane five-star hotel they put us up in. I mean, this was like super luxury, like classic. What you think of like fancy armed guards with machine guns outside of the front, of course, of the lobby. But we were at this hotel pool upstairs and we're watching the sun from there and they had like people just bringing us chopped like tropical fruit. And that was pretty amazing. So I, I think of that. I'm very lucky that everyone in my band, when we're on tour, when I talk about these days off that we're eating, it's all four of us every single time.
Stay